One of the most exciting things that I find about the scriptures is its relevance. I've always believed it to be true and trustworthy, and I've found that to be evidenced in my own studies throughout the years. But to see its relevance to me is so exciting. Who would have thought that at the end of last summer when we started this series on the Sermon on the Mount, that we would be coming to this exact text at this exact time? We couldn't have predicted all that has happened this spring. As we talked about the last couple of months, how everything has changed, but God knew that before any of it happened. There's this pandemic of a virus that is sweeping over the world, really. And along with that, there's a pandemic of worry and fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And I think all of us experience that. I'm not sure how that this coronavirus pandemic has impacted you, but I, I'm certain that it has, either physically or financially or just concerned about the future. And, and yet Jesus knows that before it ever happens. And he gives us his word for this day to help us in our Christian walk. And I've seen that to be true so many, many times. And I hope that you find that to be true as well. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He has a, a broader crowd around him. He has skeptics and critics that are uh, trying to trip him up and to trap him with what he is saying. But he's principally addressing his disciples. And he is talking to them on the subject of worry and anxiety because he sees it. We talked about the heart. This is where he's going. He wants authentic Christianity. He wants to examine the heart. He knows what's going on in their lives. And when he looks around Israel, he sees that everyone is, is struggling with this type of anxiety. So we're going to begin this morning in chapter 6, verse 19, and go through the end of the chapter, verse 34. Now, when I started preparing for a series of messages through this, I typically look at it as a, in the context of the whole, but really a string of pearls of just phenomenal sayings. The, these are great sayings. You can memorize them. You can bank, uh, bank on them. They're like hooks you can hang a promise on. But the more I studied it, I realized that it, it, it's all woven together. We talked a little bit about Jewish literature and how rather than when they start out to, to build and build and build toward a climax, and then you get the point. They, they build to the middle, and, and in the middle of this, you're going to find the point. So it, it leads up to that, and then it flows from that. And that's, that's exactly how we find this. So this morning, what I'd like to do is to introduce this section and to uh, lay it out as an oversight. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to dig down a little deeper into it. The central command, and you're going to see this when we read it, is do not worry about your life. That's found in verse 25. Do not worry about your life. Now, from verse 19 up through verse 24, we're going to see how this is the uh, crisis that they're facing and the cause of their worry. And then this command that we find central in the story in verse 25, and then from verse 26 on through verse 34 is the cure. And 
Jesus, he just lays it out. He says, here's your problem. Here's how it came about. Here's what you need to do. And we're going to see his word again is timeless. So let me read for us this section. You can read along with me. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But uh, just see how this story flows from the cause of your fear to the command and then the cure. Matthew 6, verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, we, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what is the trouble that's been brought into our lives? The trouble that presses in and, and may cause us to be anxious or to be fearful or to worry about what might take place. In this text, I, I want us to see how Jesus develops the thought and, and tries to bring a, a comfort to his people, to the ones that he loves. So the first part we look at is the command. This is the central part. This is where everything flows to and flows from. And the command is, don't worry about your life. We call it the hinge because <clears throat> it's in the middle. What's been led up to this point and flows from this point uh, really is, is consistently developed through the text of Scripture. Do not worry about your life. 
Now, if someone were to say that to you, hey, don't worry about it, what would be your response? I was watching not too long ago one of those old comedy clips of Bob Newhart, and he, he plays the part of a psychologist, and a woman comes in who has this obsessive fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> and so she comes in, and he says, well, uh, what's your problem? And she explains it, and he said, well, I've got good news. It's only going to take five minutes, less than five minutes, for me to help you with this, and which she's very excited. And he said, if you just remember two words, and you'll be fine. <clears throat> and she's going to take notes on this, and he says, stop it. And she's puzzled, and she says, but I don't stop it. And this escalates, and it, it's, it's funny when you watch it. But typically, that's advice that we give to, to someone who's got a, a chronic problem, an addiction. We just say, well, just stop it. Well, it's not that easy. If someone comes up to you and, and says, hey, don't worry about it. Stop worrying about these things. You don't need to worry. Now, why is that? I think even if a very good friend came to me and said, don't worry about this present situation or what you're going to face, I would think, number one, they're not aware. They're not aware of what I'm really going through. No one's really aware of my friends, of people around me. They don't, they don't live in my skin. They don't walk in my steps. They're not aware. Secondly, they're not able. What can they do to help me? And so I think sometimes we just, almost in a sarcastic way, think, you know, what good is anybody going to do to be able to help me struggle through this? And I think that what, what happens is when we get to worrying, we feel very much alone and isolated. Now, here's the difference. When Jesus says, do not worry about your life. This is coming from God. Jesus is God. And what he is saying uh, has a foundation of he is aware and he is able. His awareness is that he, he understands your pain. He knows exactly what you're going through, not just by an intellectual knowledge, but by his experience. When Jesus suffered on the cross, he suffered the pain of all of the sin, of all the cares, of all the worry in the world, so that he knows what that, that, that is like. And he sees it. Not just does he see your heart, he knows exactly what's going on in these pressures of your life. And there, there's no one on earth, human being, that can do that, to be completely aware. Secondly, he is able. Because he died for our sins upon the cross, and he rose again, he conquered both sin and death. And so he's unlimited in his, his ability. So he knows exactly what you're concerned about, and he's able to resolve that. You know, I think that's one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture when we, when we think about it, his awareness, his ability. So th this leads us to the second point, which is the cause of anxiety and fear. And this, for this, we back up to the earlier part, verses 19 through 24. What is causing us to fear? Now, I think that for you particularly, only you and God know that. But as you look around, there are a lot of things pressing on us right now. Uh, our, our concern about getting a virus uh, or family members getting a virus, what that will do to our health. And we're afraid to go 
to the doctor or to the hospital for other conditions. So it just has a compounding effect. We're concerned about our savings, if we have any. We're concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about income. We're concerned about paying rent. All of these things start weighing down on us. We, we're always concerned about the future. And after a while, the weight of worry begins to crush us. And so presently, we would say the last two months, it's been this coronavirus and its effects cause us to worry. Well, Jesus, it's really interesting how he develops this thought beginning with verse 19. He covers three areas, and we'll not get into them too deeply uh, this morning, but we're going to develop that thought later on because I think they, it really shows how we struggle with worry. The first one is, where have you put your treasure? What do you value? Jesus never says it's bad to have wealth or to have money or to have riches. They're not wrong. But he said, if you put your heart, you set your heart on those. So he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The second illustration, he talks about the eye. The eye opens up to bring in light. And light you can see, you can perceive, you can understand. But if your, your eye is bad, there's going to be no light in you. The third illustration is who your master is. Everyone has a master. Everyone is following something, whether it's your own creative dictations from your heart to what you want to do or from someone else, but you cannot have divided loyalties. And when these three areas are out of sync with God, there's going to be a tremendous amount of worry that takes place in our lives. And I think often in my own life, I think, well, I don't worry. Um, I remember back a number of years ago, I was probably in my uh, late 40s, really young guy back then. And uh, I was at a Wednesday night church service. This is when I was president of the college, and so I wasn't preaching on Wednesday night, but I'd just gone to church that night. And I started feeling this tension in my chest. And I thought, well, maybe it's just uh, kind of tightness, or maybe I pulled a muscle or something like that. But you know how your mind goes. You start, you start thinking about what this could be. And then I think, is my arm, is my arm feeling a little numb? And uh, I, think, I, think, I think it is. Well, it didn't take long for me where I am, I am driving my truck to the hospital emergency room, and I am sweating. My whole body is sweating. And... I'm in a panic. I'm ready to stop my, my vehicle and jump out and flag someone down to call an ambulance to rush me to the hospital. And uh, so I finally get to the emergency room. I go through all their tests and, and they say, uh, we're, we're gonna send you down to Green Bay and have an angiogram. So we're gonna, we're gonna run the two bone up and we're gonna check your heart, get, get, look at it. We think you'd probably be okay, but so, uh, this is kind of all happening pretty quickly. So Diane goes down with me. We go down to Green Bay and um, a doctor comes in and he looks at me and he says, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I've looked at your charts. I've looked at everything. I'm 90% certain you've got blockage in your heart. And, uh, and I'm thinking, whoa, 90%. That's not good. He said, but what we'll do is we'll go in, we'll put in a stent. And, um, but if that doesn't work, we're going to open you up, do open heart surgery. And I'm thinking, I haven't even told my mother, I haven't told my kids, and all this is happening so fast, and I'm just in this panic, even more fear. Well, when I come to, 
they tell me I have the heart of an 18 year old, which is, which was good news. He said, um, may your heart's fine. And uh, Diane said, well, where, where do you want to go to lunch? And I said, I'm going to go to Red Robin, have a cheeseburger, because I was having dreams that I've eaten fish and lettuce the rest of my life. And then I went to follow up with my general doctor, my uh, general practice physician. And he said, you know, you had a number of things going on uh, right here. You know, you've been sick, had the flu, uh, but have you been stressed? And I, and I almost laughed. And, and this doctor is a Christian. And I said, of course not. And I thought, you know, I didn't say this to him, but I, I was thinking, I read my Bible and pray every day. Uh, I, am, I am a servant of the Lord. I, you know, why, I could never be worried. But I honestly think that a lot of us, we, we build up this subconscious stress of a lot of things in life, and we think we're doing fine, and we're not. And you may say, uh, denial, denial? No, I, I've never been in denial. <laughs> well, we do. And I think what, what happens stress and worry just can destroy your life. It can destroy your life physically. It destroys your life mentally, spiritually. It destroys other relationships. That's why this message is so, so significant. And I think it's really good for each of us when we're reading through this to ask, Lord, am I, am I worried about things? And if I am worried about things, would you help me to, to get to the root of it? So these are the, the causes, and we finally come to the, to the last point here is the cure, which to me is the most exciting part of this. It's like the good doctor, the good physician, Jesus Christ himself looks into your heart, he sees your problem of worry, and he gives you a prescription that is guaranteed to work. And so the cure is giving us the reasoning and the basis. It's different from the person that says, hey, don't worry about it, and they, they have no ability to give you why you shouldn't worry. They're just trying to give you uplifting words, uh, positive encouragement. But Jesus almost goes into an argument form. It's like a polemic. He is explaining, here's the reason why you don't need to worry. So he says, do not worry about your life. Here's how you got there. Do not worry about your life. Here's why you should not worry. So we go into this next section from verse 26 on to verse 34. It's, just, it's, it's one that you just need to read over and over and over again to remind you the cure for anxiety and the cure for your worry and fear. And to me, this is, we've talked about this already because we, we got into uh, the Sermon on the, on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, 17 times Jesus refers to God as Father. And he says, your heavenly Father. When we read it in this, he's going to make reference, Jesus will make reference to your heavenly Father. So the Father, the Abba, is personal, relationable, knowable. He's the one you hop into his lap, you run to his arms, he's approachable. For those of you that grew up in a home where father, the name father, is not a great picture, it's because that father fell so far short of the expectation that you had. Well, this father exceeds 
those expectations. So the tension that you felt from your earthly father and what a father should be really is probably a good thing to point you to what is, if you close your eyes and say, what would the perfect father be? Well, here he is. He knows everything. He has all ability. Uh, this is the one that you know. And, and this is who Jesus is introducing us to. I would really challenge you about how you think about God. Because I, I hear a lot of people pray, dear God, I talk about God, and, and he is God. But he is your heavenly father. And that's how you should go to him. Jesus gave the model prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, this is how you pray. Our father who art in heaven. So he's a father, but, he, but he's also your heavenly father, which speaks about his transcendence, his power, his might, his strength. He is everywhere at all times. He, he is unchangeable. He is eternal. When you begin to go through the attributes of God, you realize that God has no limit. He is the, the God that strikes fear in the nations, but he's also your personal heavenly father. And he is capable, because those two things come together, heavenly father, he wants to meet your needs, and he's able to meet your needs. Isn't that tremendous? But then it says, your, your. And Jesus is the one. He is the one that makes this possible. To be your heavenly father, this father used to be a distant God who was unapproachable, who dwelt in unapproachable light. But Jesus paved the way by dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead, and offering to us the gift of eternal life. He gave us access. He gave us access to the Heavenly Father. And more than that, in John chapter 14, Jesus says to Philip, he says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what is Jesus saying there? Well, he's saying that he's God. And if you see me, Philip, you have seen God. Jesus is the skin on the face of God for us to know him, to have a personal, real relationship with him. So what is the cure? What is the cure? He talks about you know, the, look at the birds, look at the flowers of the field. If God's going to take care of all of them, why are you worried? That's his heart. That's his care. So what is the cure? And this isn't, this isn't a, a long statement. Here's the cure. Your heavenly Father. You let that run through your mind and think and meditate on that. It will begin to bring a calmness and a peace. So that's the reason. That's the basis why central argument, uh, command is do not worry. We see the causes of worry. So I can say, you know what? I realize I let this happen. I let this happen. My heart went here. My eyes are closed. I'm, I'm submitting to these other things. I realize how I got here. Now, the Lord is lovingly saying to me, do not worry about your life. And he's given me a substantive argument because of your heavenly Father. You and I have no reason to worry. We're going to struggle with this, but that's why we come back to the scriptures and are reminded about it day after day. Well, we look forward to next week.
and continuing on this because I think as we dive down, we see some, some really great things. I'd like to pray for us before we go back to our time of worship. And typically at Valley, we'll have a time to conclude our service, receive our offering. I was going to just say a word about that of thanks because people have been giving and giving generously. and The Lord's provided all of our needs during this time. But I think as, as the weeks go on, more of our families are going to feel pressure. So let's be praying for one another and supporting one another. If you think about someone, they just come to your mind. Send them a text. See how they're doing. It, it's tough being isolated. Uh, me talking into a camera, you watching on a screen. But we're thankful for that as well. So here is our prayer. And this comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. In fact, I have this. I put it on, I don't know if you can see it, on our refrigerator because it's just a great, great prayer to be reminded of. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you his peace. Isn't that tremendous? And he is aware and he is able to drive fear away from our lives and to give us the joy and the peace and the grateful hearts. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your pouring out to us just what we need. Thank you for the words that you give us that are so relevant. How could you know this? Well, you're eternal and you know everything. And you bring these words just when we need them. So I pray that whatever our stress, whatever our pain, whatever our worry is today, that you drive it out with your promises from our Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.